Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with my good friend of many years, Will Poole, who you may also know as Waffle House or Christy Yamaguchi Main on Twitter. Will also co-hosts the podcasts Lauer After Hours and George Center. That's a podcast we do together, and honestly one that I don't promote on here as much as I should. So sorry about that, Will. We talked about the Fuji's 1996 album, The Score, and about growing up together. Also, about having preconceived notions and gatekeeping that keeps you from enjoying things. If you like what we do on the main feed, then please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. Subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more and get an exclusive episode every week. It really sincerely helps and keeps us doing what we're doing here. So appreciate the support. Okay, no delays. Let's chat with Will. That's great. That's great. This is a great audio, by the way. Showing me pictures. Yeah, I'm not. Show, I'm not keeping yeah. any of this. Wait, you haven't started yet. No. Yes, we have. No, we haven't. What? I thought this. What you were? I thought that's how you were introducing me. Was like Will's nope. going to talk way more hey, than Will. I want him to. Hey, Josh. We didn't see. We didn't start yet. When are we starting? It's seven twenty-two. <laughs> uh, we are fuck? starting now. Okay. Uh, hey, Will. How's it going? Hey, I'm good. Uh, so today we're talking about <laughs> Fuji's album, The Score, from 1996 that came out on Columbia Records. It was released February 13th, and it was the Webster's second... Dictionary defines the score as... As the movie of Marlon Brando. Yes, yeah. And uh, so the record has been certified seven times platinum. <laughs> Isn't that insane? You are so out of your depth here. You you talking about a mid-90s hip-hop or rap album, you just immediately have to default to the Wikipedia entry. You have no, like, cultural touchstones, uh, no no kind of... You're just not grounded in this, this area, are you, at all? No. No. Okay. That's good. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I say that honestly. I mean, I feel like I did listen to a lot of hip hop growing up, uh-huh. but then when I think about it, I feel like that kind of, you know, that type of, there's like, it's not a meme, I guess you would say everything's a meme now. Um, but it's like the dude that's like of a certain age that listens to Wu Tang. And right. then I'm like, Oh, I think that's me. <laughs> you know, it's like how I feel with it. Cause like, when I get into it, there's so many like blind spots with with like hip hop that sure, I sure. have, uh, and there's like certain people where I'm like, oh, I like I like Ice Cube, right? I like uh, you know West Side Connection, I like Ghetto Boys, right? Uh, and I remember liking like Jedi Mind Tricks, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't good. listen. These, are, these to... are all rappers. You're <laughs> right. These are all rappers. Good but job. it's like from an well from another uh, like Patreon episode. I didn't really give like Ludacris a chance and I didn't really listen I didn't like Outcast either. Like Oh man, John. I and I know cuz you told me today it was like uh, we've we've it. talked about doing we've talked about doing this record for a right. while and so you know I I've listened to it a bunch of times. I really like this record. And yeah. I was like, "Damn. 
Why didn't anyone tell me to listen to it? Though, <laughs> though I think at a certain oh, point, only the entire world was yeah, telling the only you point. that this was a good record. The That's seven it. times platinum album, and I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me? <laughs> you know, but like, and what? But I don't know. So you today you text me and you were like, or maybe it was last night, and you were like, uh, listen to Stankonia, yeah. and I was like, oh, are we switching albums? I guess I guess you realized late that you kind of wanted to talk about Stankonia well, instead of this. What what I not necessarily wanted to switch completely. I just wanted you to be familiar with that album as well because. So the score came out when I was a, like 11, maybe 12. Yeah. Um, I think it came out in 96. So I think I was like 11 years old. So I didn't, I, I didn't get the score right when it came out. I was not listening to Fuji's uh, as an 11 year old. I was wondering. You know? Yeah. No, 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 not at all. Uh, I, I came to it a few years later, but what I do remember is uh, seeing the video, hearing the, the song particularly Killing Me Softly, um, their cover of Roberta Flack, and it, it also um, uh, samples uh, Bonita Applebaum as well. Uh, the I remember my mom being familiar with it mm-hmm. um, and, and say, oh, that's a Roberta Flack song. And it was the first time I realized that rap songs sampled other songs. That that like not everything like you could make something completely new by using a sample of an old song. Like I grew up listening to like uh, to to old country, to old like the Beatles. My mom was a huge Beatles fan um, uh, to old R&B and like Motown stuff and kind of learning that, realizing that at a young age, uh, just, I like started listening for that in more, more like rap and hip hop that was coming out at the time. Like the next year, uh, uh, Puff Daddy put you know, Puff Daddy and the family put out No Way Out and that had Bowie samples in it. Um, uh, and most prominent, I think on that when it sampled the Rocky theme, uh, in one track, um, tons of samples on that one. Puff Daddy was known for sampling, but I felt like I had this like inside scoop on how like rappers and, and hip hop artists, like I, every rap song I heard, I was trying to pick out like little clips of like classic rock radio that I had heard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they did more than like cover. I feel like I feel like sampling is is like not the right word for what they did with Killing Me Softly because they they kind of did just at their own version of it. You know, it was almost yeah. more of a cover than a sample. Uh, you know, they added like you know, there's there's verses in there and the ad libs and stuff. Uh, and then they also do uh, No Woman No Cry, their own version of that on the album too. Yeah, that's the so, Bob Marley song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyway, like like as an eleven year old, I think I was like probably twelve or thirteen when I finally bought the album probably from walmart i'm sure it was the clean version uh because that was the only that was the closest and basically only place we had on our side of town and for those that don't know me and josh grew up right down the street from each other um so uh yeah that was i probably got the clean version from walmart um but yeah, I'm glad you like the I'm glad you like the album. Yeah, um, I like it. You have, I like you have it a, a whole lot. world of music to listen to. <laughs> I <now>. do. <laughs> well that that is what's kinda nice about it. Like kind of realizing like, oh shit, Ludacris is good. Like even like <laughs> there wasn't anything telling me that this was bad. You know, yeah, I've listened yeah, to yeah. Outcast here oh, here's my of problem course. with Outcast, and I don't want to get 
too far off on this now, but you whatever. Better choose your uh, words fucking carefully, motherfucker. <laughs> so, I feel like I what. I feel like I wasn't able to have my own relationship with Outcast. I was only able to kind of see cultures. Uh, so okay, so there was a point where you couldn't go anywhere and not hear "Hey Yeah," and yes, yes, and like I feel like I hold that against them <laughs> when it it's is sort of like th- it's it's the it's the trope that people do. Uh, People wanting to hear a song a lot does not harm the quality of the song. It yeah. does not make a song bad or worse because people like to hear Freebird or Stairway to Heaven. Those songs still fucking rip. It doesn't matter how overplayed they are on the radio station. You cannot want to hear it in that moment, but it doesn't make the song bad. And that's the that's the I hear a lot of people use like interchangeably the ideas that, oh, that song sucks, it's overplayed. And it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, 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 those are two completely different things. Uh, a song can be bad and it can be overplayed. A song can just be bad and nobody know what the fuck it is. Or a song can just be overplayed and it can be fantastic. Those are those are uh, lots of options there. So I, I don't, I try to go out of my way not to hold the like how how popular something is against the the piece of art if that makes sense i mean it's hard though i feel like i've had to come around to it like i was really i mean i'll look back and realize how annoying i was like i was telling (laughs) uh sarah right before we started talking where i you get those memories on facebook about like things you posted like 10 years ago right and i was like what did I was something wrong with me when <laughs> it's a, like, yeah. yeah. And it's like, there's, there was one that she oh, often man. thinks about. There was a picture on Facebook and, and I, it was a picture of pot roast and I tagged her in. <laughs> and <laughs> it's okay. wait, wait, why? Like, uh, because you were making dinner. Did she make the dinner? She made did it you for th- me. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I was like, "Ooh, this is really good pot roast." I need yeah, to post I need about to tell it. people. Unlike that. my BlackBerry phone, so it was like yeah. out of focus and dark. And I think also yeah. though, you were proving to people like, uh, "Hey, I know, I know, you guys probably remember me as being a weirdo, but I'm in a loving relationship with a yeah. a, a real life woman." Yeah, <laughs> it's you're like posting, you know, proof of life. Yeah, I feel uh, like all those... my middle school bullies out there. Exactly. Like, it's like, know, Christopher Thrush. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, you've got a tear streaming down your eye going, I'm going to show them. <laughs> Look at this pot roast. Yeah, but like, okay, so in terms of music, though, it felt like I needed to come around to certain things and kind of... Sure. And also, though, you, you probably were also sick and tired of hearing Miss Jackson oh, off yeah. of Stank On Yet. Yeah. So, like, because uh, Hey Ya was off of Speaker Box and The Love yeah. Below, and that was their fifth album. So they had four albums prior to that, and that was kind of the weird double album. Like they each did their own thing on each side of it, which is why uh, uh, Andre 3000 side is like so different than than Big Boys. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that you came around to it. Stankonia, I absolutely love, and Stankonia like came out when I was 15, so that was when I was. Uh, 
really in the the thrush of uh, or the thrust of, of buying my own uh, music, you know, constantly like buying CDs regularly going uh, to the mall and, and buying yeah. albums that I wanted to hear. I kind of wanted to go back to because I was thinking um, about it. I don't know what it says. There's a, lots of kind of darker connotations it could kind of make. But like I wasn't raised with like hip hop. Like right. it wasn't something for the most part that, you know, uh, for the, my stepbrothers listen to like bass music. Sure. a lot but they didn't listen to a lot of rap uh there was a point I, I think it's just like my parents didn't like it so i don't know where you file that you know right. it's like I mean, they like parents country, were yeah you know in christian music older southern it. christians <laughs> yeah so it's like not that weird so it's like it was hard it was easier for me to bring like rock things in the house than mm-hmm. trying to take the extra step of being because that point when i started buying my own music the big memory i remember is like I was able to get my dad uh, to let me buy Judas Priest and Hank Williams Jr. It was like right. the one of the first non-Christian things I bought with my money. Right. So I don't know what the hurdles would have been of trying to bring Fuji's home, but it, it just didn't feel like the thing that I was, the struggle that I was going to go through at that time. Oh, your parents would have had a fucking conniption if <laughs> yeah. you tried to bring rap albums into the the house so like think think about the timeline there though so we're talking 90s right mm-hmm. uh at that point rock and roll has been around for 40 years right you know if you go back to the 50s the original like you know elvis on the ed sullivan show and uh ray charles little richard like the the original uh chuck berry like all, all the that early rock and roll um where we are today is about the same distance in time from when hip-hop and rap originated right yeah so we it's been around rap and hip-hop has been around for 40 years now so the same trajectory that rock and roll had whereas eventually it goes from being the scary thing to just being kind of synonymous with just like pop songs and stuff like you have your pop versions of of all of these genres whether it's country whether it's uh r&b whether it's rock and roll whether it's rap and hip-hop i mean that that sells this stuff sells more than anything else like if you are a top chart topping uh rapper or hip-hop artist today you are a pop artist there is no debate about it um yeah because you are making the most popular music in the world essentially um so it yeah the the you need uh, it feels like you need based on those two examples about 30 to 40 years of a genre being around before it becomes safe enough that parents don't lose their shit you know conservatives i guess where uh, we are now Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like what I was thinking though, kind of the reason I brought that up was like, so I guess you're, then that means your parents were just like fine with you listening to hip hop. It wasn't like any sort of hurdle or anything. They were just cool with it. It, they didn't really, that, that's the, that's the weird thing. Like I, I try to think back on things like that. And I don't like my dad was always, like my dad would like uh I remember him 
I, and I realize I I'm slowly turning into a version of my father um, because I walk around just singing lines from songs that are like apropos of absolutely nothing. I've just got something stuck in my head. But, I, you know, my dad would like walk into the room and all of a sudden mama said, knock you out. Like he would be like 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 singing LL Cool J or uh, like a line from N.W.A. or something or like just these random and I. Again, I was like too young to even know what he was talking about, but clearly they had gotten into his head at some point in time. And and he just didn't care. Like he he never had anything to say about it uh at all. And my mom as well, like it was it was one of those things they didn't acknowledge it or condemn it whatsoever. It was just like that was what I was into. I just I liked listening to to this stuff and they didn't really give a shit either way it wasn't like they were extra supportive but i never had any restrictions on that stuff that yeah. i can remember uh yeah and i when i kind of said that i almost had this like out of body experience like if someone's listening like what are you talking about but like i don't know it's like i'm thinking of my experience but i don't know if that's like an age thing like maybe people 10 years younger than us it's like they're even further removed from that or yeah. also adding the part they're like we're from the south so if that sounds confusing to any listeners like why would you have issues why would your parents have any issues with you listening to the fugees then (laughs) i know it sounds crazy i'm just well you know it it does uh and, and and you know this is the height of um you know maybe maybe not the height but it was when it was still uh, you know, um, scare like Walmart. I, I mentioned getting the clean version of this. Walmart didn't carry explicit albums, right? And and the genre that suffered the most from this was rap and hip hop, because you know it, it's it's you know while it's about the production and the beats and stuff like that, like it is a lyrical heavy uh, genre. So um, you know, not having these major retailers carry these albums um it was it was a big deal and, and you always saw like politicians you know it was the height of video games are are call, gonna ruin our children and rap and hip-hop is uh going to be the downfall of this country and so there's just lots of panic in the air uh at this time and uh all that did was the same thing that it did in the 50s when parents didn't want their kids you know um seeing elvis shake his hips it just made us want to listen to it more and you know uh much to their chagrin again it's the most popular genre in in the country today there was there was also a thing i don't know if you had this experience when we were growing up basically in the same place where i felt like i had to choose one i felt like i had to choose rock or rap and i felt that growing up i feel like Uh, until until when mr fred durst came along (laughs) well this is true yeah we got lip biscuit but i was then we didn't have to choose baby and that's what's so fucking ground banking (laughs) about lip biscuit yeah i mean you were i feel like in my head you were more on like the rap side when we were in like middle (laughs) from my recollection of you you were like a dude that really liked rap (laughs) I, well, I was a dude that really liked rap, but I just love that. Is this the first uh, rap album you've done on the main feed? No, no. Okay. What's the first? What, what are the other ones you've done? Uh, Jay Dilla. 
Okay. Okay. Uh, then okay. I did before this was uh, when it was still on Instagram. I did a Freddie Gibbs record with okay, Archie cool, Strange. Cool, cool. Uh, okay. And, I was just curious. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't get the opportunity to do uh, a lot of them, honestly, and I right. want to do more. Uh, in the same way that I wish people brought like more like heavy music to me, sure. people just don't often times there seems to be almost like a pattern sometimes with what people kind of bring like even sure. based on their age you can almost assume what they'll say is their favorite record oh and course, i let people do that that's fine i mean i've done gorillas uh but i feel like that's like even easier to digest than kind of you feel like it it kind of is in a time frame where it's just rap is yeah. everywhere yeah, yeah, you absolutely. know like the fujis though this is a huge record it still, from my recollection, was from a time period where, like, rap felt like a separate thing. For yeah. Me. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It was, uh, uh, it was this weird thing, like, like you're coming out of... So, like, this this album came out, uh, Tupac is still alive, Biggie is still alive, um, and I didn't come, again, like, I didn't come to listening to rap I was 11 years old until both of those guys were were you know had been murdered right like I didn't really uh uh have I wasn't a concurrent fan of those guys this was the first album of like like massive album that brought me into the genre and again like part of it was because I remember my mom appreciating the fact that they were sampling Roberta Flack um I hadn't, you know, like all the other major rappers of the 90s of that decade, uh, the major albums, like I didn't listen to Wu-Tang when Wu-Tang was putting out, you know, it was like six and seven years old in the early 90s, right? So like I missed the majority of that. This marked the beginning of me like really getting into the like, like 90s hip hop. And part of it, again, I think my mom like probably never thought twice about it because, oh, they're sampling, that's a Roberta Flack song, you know, I know that. Uh, they're just doing yeah. a cover of that. You well, know? that's an it interesting... Was, it felt safer. ...thing, too. Like, I don't remember Motown being played in my house growing right. up. Really? Okay. You know, like, I feel like that was something I had to discover myself. Like, right. when Kazaa started Soul Seek, it's like <laughs> right. I try, I had to figure out on my own who Al Greig was. Right. You know, like, right. I didn't hear it. There was no rhythm in my house. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's that's you know, such goddamn. That's such a funny line. There was no rhythm in my house. That's amazing. like I don't like, even thinking about it when people make the joke about the you know it's like the white people clap on the one or the two. I don't know which one it is, you know because I I don't know. It's you just hear what that I scene knew. from the jerk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so the, the reason that this is good God, we took the scenic route to get here. Uh, the whole reason I told you to listen to Stankonia is because this being kind of the first hip hop rap album that I was into kind of set the tone for the things that I like in the genre Mm -hmm. and kind of, uh, set the, just like whether it's production or just Lauren Hill's vocal melodies that she chose on, on this record, um, and you know this is their second album. Their their first yeah. one um, uh, was not nearly as as 
like it was is critically underrated um uh but not obviously not nearly as commercially successful so uh that's why when Stankonia came out I was really looking forward to uh to to that album and it did not disappoint it like hit all the notes that I loved in the genre um because the the album before that had uh Rosa Parks on it and I absolutely loved that song mm-hmm. um and so like Stankonia like you know this this album's based you know they're from Newark New Jersey uh and there's that very there's that like east coast kind of you know northeast kind of sound to it um kind of has real gritty elements to it that i always liked but also um just the musicality in it and the the again the vocal melodies and the vocal performances of lauren hill she's got one of the best voices i've ever yeah undeniable hands down like undeniable but also she's one of the best not not just female rappers because that's always the qualifier you hear. She's good for a, you know a, a woman rapper. She's she's one of the best to ever do it. But you know there there's only the the other you know kind of wild thing is that she only she has a very limited output when yeah. it comes to her her stuff. There's not a whole lot of her work uh, that exists out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that in terms of like there's so much it's like i i I don't know if i want to like kind of wait to get into it just like that idea that like lauren hill doesn't you know have a whole lot of body of work out there Mm -hmm. even with like fuji's like having two albums and still like holding up in this way it's like i didn't listen to it but it looms large you know it's like you can't it's undeniable like who they are yeah you know like even the things that were like written about them the kind of wikipedia facts it's like they're called like the Beatles of hip hop yeah you know and but there's there's also this thing with the Fugees that I think going back to what I said about Outkast where almost I almost uh put on them more than they really do if you listen to them because there's almost an element of (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to say it there's like a kind of white rapper kind of jam band aesthetic that I think that some of the Fugees kind of, uh, I guess you could say like they're responsible for, you know, like Lauren Hill, especially, but it's not like when you listen to the Fugees, it's, it's obviously so much better. So it's like when I thought of, especially living in Charlotte, there's a lot of this element, like it's like kind of a jam band kind of reggae with rappers and, but half ska band kind of thing that, used to happen almost like 10 years ago more in Charlotte uh, right. that I feel like I put on Fuji's. Like I, right. I think you about just, it. Like you, you, you group them together. Yes. Uh, like um, what is the name of that band? They have the one. I, I know what you're talking about. There's like this. Your mom is big fat booty, booty band and stuff like that. Or like, the, yeah, there's that. But there's there's this one band that kind of has that that weird vibe. And I think I think part of that is the fact that like they covered No Woman No Cry, Wyclef mm-hmm. Jean's solo stuff. You probably that like his solo career is probably I I don't see how it couldn't be. Like he's the most successful member of the group, right? Yeah. And 
musically, Wyclef, like he's a he's a great musician. Um, you know, he held his own on the score. Um, but he also gets, uh, you know, culturally, he gets docked a lot of points for like some of the cornier stuff that he did in the 2000s and the artists that he worked with and, and stuff. Um, so like there he became the pop star of the group when Lauren Hill was like the breakout was the actual breakout star. And a lot of the stuff that that Wyclef did later on, uh, uh, it vibed with a certain, probably a certain type of white guy, uh, jam band, uh, aesthetic that they adopted, you know, that they ate that shit up, uh, you know, the acoustic guitar and like, and see, like, that's a huge, that's a huge part of it. And that the, you know, you could, you could very easily picture a group of dreaded white guys sitting around, uh, on the beach in a drum circle, singing a Wyclef Jean song. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like not the Fugees, not Fugees. They yeah. would never do that with Fugees, uh, because Fugees are actually like, like they're with the score and blunted on reality. They were talking. It's very conscious, very issues hip hop. Like it is, it's serious mm-hmm. subject matter that they're talking about, and they do goofy stuff on it, like a lot of like all the skits and stuff in between on on the score and stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, it's it's very very um, very silly sometimes, but uh, so much of what they're they're rapping about and singing about is super serious stuff. And then again, Wyclef went more of the kind of the pop star route, and uh, and and did goofy things with with MTV that were like, you know, less less serious you could say. And that's probably why that connection is in your head. Yeah, and I think with Lauren Hill like since she didn't put out that much music, I feel like people were able to uh mythologize her in right. a way, you know, and the only thing that's like a detractor is like she has she has all that history of kind of like showing up really late for shows and canceling a lot and yes, all that. But yeah. in a way, that kind of like helps her mystique. You know, I don't know if it helps her bank account. I don't know. But, you know, it's like I feel yeah. like it's helped yeah. her thing because like with someone like Wyclef, it's like he was always kind of like ever present in the media. And then even as you get into like the you know two th- later 2000s, it's like when he he supported Sarah Palin. Um, have you heard about that? I, you know what? I completely forgot. I, I completely forgot that that was a thing. I remember it at the time, but I forgot. I just remember him, uh, filing paperwork to be the president of Haiti. Yeah. Um, and I just, I remember that. And what was the Palin thing though? He just just said he, yeah, he said that he thinks that she is a great candidate. Well, on the list of of uh, sins, I'm gonna let that one slide. I'm not gonna hold that one against him. Uh, yeah, like who knows? He may have been uh, being a smart ass. You know, I don't. Why, why, why is I someone asking find... Wyclef Jean what he thinks about Sarah Palin? You know what I'm saying? I don't like, know. like if if somebody asked me that, yeah, she's a fucking yeah, she's a great candidate. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know where to put. It. And in even the Haitian presidential campaign, it's like. I think that actually it was helpful in a way to Haiti. It seemed like it 
funded resources or got, you know, it seemed like positive. So there's like nothing I can really say about that. But it's like the point being is like he was very present, you know. So I feel like it's like I wasn't able to kind of like have a relationship just like like with you, like it being a formative thing. And even actually with the distance of some of the skits, it's like there's tons of Wu-Tang skits that I don't even question. Like, they're just in my head, they're burned in there, (laughs) and I just don't even think about it. And, like, because I'm the age that I am, going to, like, the skit and the beast, I believe, it was a little tough to, like, hear, like, kind of now and not having that relationship. Because I feel like there's a thing when you, like... It's like when you like a movie from the 90s and then you show oh, yeah, it to somebody yeah, yeah. and then they're like, what well, are about? you talking about the, yeah. the Chinese restaurant skit? Yeah. 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 Well, I was super glad because I could not remember exactly how it went um, that they they imitated a kung fu movie. So they don't do a racist uh, accent in it, um, which I was I was thrilled to hear. I was like, OK, there's some like again, like the, the score is like a double entendre here. It's like the the criminal activity of like robbing a place. And then it's it's a film. They viewed this album, the making of it, like they were scoring a film. That's why there's skits in between and it tells the story. And so like it's it's like a soundtrack for a movie that's also on the album that the soundtrack is. So uh those those weird skits like that they treated that skit they were paying homage to the you know similar to like you said the wu-tang stuff like they were doing the the dubbed kung fu movie thing um yeah so i'm i'm just glad it 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 did not age well it did not age as bad as it could have oh yeah it kind of even ends (laughs) in a way where i'm like on another hip-hop record i feel like they would have like killed the guy that they're doing like you know or something yeah, like exactly, that but it's like exactly. the guy ends up yeah. like beating their ass at the Being end their ass, exactly. so then i feel yeah. like for 1996 it's like weirdly <laughs> clunkily progressive yeah exactly. in a fucked up exactly. way <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you well, know well that so so speaking of that this album one of the things that like i, I didn't think about it until i'm listening to it with a a pretty critical ear is that there is it is absent of the misogyny and like the the like super gross references that a lot of rap and hip-hop you know has to this day obviously like yeah uh uh and and particularly like in the the 90s and part of that is because they have a female like it's it's on that album it's a female-led group you know, Lauren Hill is uh, there's there's a part on the mask where she's basically like this dude is trying to like feel her up at a party and she shuts him down. And like there is it's very forward thinking in that regard um, when it comes to the treatment of women, you know, lyrically. And it's it's refreshing. Like it's something that you you might hear today. But you you have to remind yourself, oh shit, this album is is twenty six years old. Yeah, you know, like this is yeah. this is not something that has come out recently with with people that are you know conscious of uh, today's you know political climate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There was even a thing with like listen to it, even with comparing it to Stankonia. With this, with the score, 
it feels like it's so much easier to digest, but it's also not, it's not that it's not like giving you something too. Like it, there's little bits that kind of come up and like hit you with it. But like the problem I also have with like Outcast is I feel like it's like almost. Why? Too... So this is just a therapy session for you to just shit talk Outcast the whole yeah, time, this... isn't it? <laughs> I feel like there's like it's almost too quirky for its own good sometimes. Oh, ugh. You know, and a little less on Stankonia is when I'm thinking about like speaker box or, um, again, that was, that was like, you've got to listen to AT aliens <laughs> or, um, super playlist at Cadillac music. Um, it's, it's, oh my God, it's so good, man. It's so good. Like that, that style, what they were doing with the whole, like, uh, uh, dungeon crew, and that that sound that came out of Atlanta at that time um, is just oh, I love it so much, man. It's it's it gives me all because it melds so many of those like that seventies R and B. Like you mentioned, Al Green earlier. I went to see Al Green when I was in high school when when uh, when he came for Azalea Festival. Like yeah. I was so into that shit that in that brass that those horn sections mm-hmm. and stuff that you didn't hear a lot of in nineties uh hip hop and and rap and stuff it was more about the you know gritty it was gangster rap you know it was mm-hmm. like the harder stuff that was so popular and then these dudes like they might as well have been like on LSD and you know then six blunts deep making making rap and it was like it was something that I could listen to without feeling like I was pretending to be, you know, a gangster growing up in the suburbs of Wilmington. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, it felt way more accessible to me. Um, while at the same time, they're rapping about very serious issues and very mm-hmm. serious stuff. Um, uh, and and with the Fugees, it was like that perfect blend of like uh, of of it sounding gritty, it having like the the beats and the the drums from the same break and samples that a lot of the gangster rap had but at the same time it didn't have because it was a female-led group it didn't have you know you know so much stuff about you know uh uh fucking bitches and stuff that i was not doing as a 12 year old you know what i mean like it yeah. it it but and and you know and while at the same time i'm not i'm also not running from the police uh you know they're not harassing my community and stuff so i i can't necessarily relate to that but i can listen to it and like go damn man like this is wild like i can i can i could listen to it like kind of empathetically and feel like I was having like insight into something that was serious, but also I could sing along to Lauren Hill's hooks and stuff. It was like aesthetically so pleasing that so much of the, the, the rap that was out at the time did not have, it did not have that accessible point to it. Um, a version of that though, that did. And another reason i love him so much uh all the songs that nate dog did mm-hmm. uh like i would like his vocal melodies that he chose was another thing that just set off all the fireworks in my brain so if nate dog was on a track i instantly loved it i loved whatever he was singing it didn't matter what the lyrics were it was one of those accessibility points because i loved the the melodies and the uh the vocal arrangements more than yeah. anything on so much here's kind of two different things i can think of from like growing going to church like what the fujis makes me think of and what outcast makes me think of like like fujis feels like it's like a wednesday night service and like someone's had like a rough week and it's like 
you know, kind of like cry singing in a way. There's like so much more emotion to it, but like, but like outcast almost feels like when everyone in the church is getting the Holy ghost and kind of like jumping around (laughs) and speaking in tongues. That's yeah. That's a hundred percent. You know, there's kind of two different emotions or even like in a simpler thing. It's just like, you're either kind of chilling with your friends or you're, you know, throwing water balloons at people while they wait for, you know, Spider-Man 2 tickets, sure, you know, sure, sure, like, sure. which we would have done, you know. <laughs> so it's like you're you're just kind of using it for different things. Like, and so whenever, like, you know, I, I listen to both today, it's like they're just different moods, you know. Oh, they, like, they, they absolutely are. You know, so it's, it's even hard to, like, compare them. Like, comparing them as they're not the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, uh, the, and again, they're not the same thing at all, but the, the, the musical arrangements, the samples that they would use, and like the string arrangements or the horns. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that those, whatever is going on in my brain, the same itch gets scratched when I listen to Fuji's or Outcast songs. You know, like the the I don't know theoretically, like when it comes to music theory, what is happening there, but it. It's not the only two groups that do this for me, but it definitely uh, hits the same notes in my head whenever I listen to both of them. And again, the score is what led me to end up being a fan of this more like musical element of of hip. I guess like you could you could describe it as like hip hop versus rap. You know what I mean? Um, I, I liked this this musical kind of uh genre of it the the less gritty version which is why i liked uh puff daddy and and a lot of the stuff that came out on bad boy um i liked because he was using like heavily using samples it uh it was focused a lot on on the music aspect of it and not just the lyrical content because again i couldn't relate to 99% of the uh, of the lyrical content of most of this stuff so it was the musical aspect that really really wrangled me in so also on on the score uh getting back to the whole reason we're talking um th- there's like a there's like kind of like a a pecking order on a lot of these songs. Like usually mm-hmm. it's like it's Lauren Hill and then Wyclef and always the last verse is by Proz. Um, I don't know why. I don't know if that's something that like organically happened in the studio. A few songs Lauren and Wyclef flip flop back and forth on, but always Proz ends out the, the song. Um, you know, I don't know. Like, and, and he, he's got that, all three of them have distinct voices, but Proz has that like crazy, like it's almost like he's doing a movie voice while yeah. he's, you know, while he's rapping. Um, uh, I, I absolutely love it, but, uh, there's like, there's like Lauren, she's like, she's doing her own thing on it. She's very forward thinking, very progressive. Like she's talking about a lot of, uh, political things. Like she tells Newt Gingrich to like, you know, she says, uh, the 666 cut wick like Newt Gingrich sucks dicks. Yeah. Um, which is funny, like listening back on that lyric, I was I was like, hell yeah, he still sucks dicks, you know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I forgot that lyric was in there. Um, so uh, she's she's bringing up a lot of political stuff. Wyclef is is, um, you know, he there there's like he's kind of goofy a little bit, and then Proz is 
just his own kind of entity kind of like looming over every track. Uh, Cause I don't feel like I hear uh, like a whole lot of ad libs in the background. Like you do from Wyclef Lauren usually sings the, the hooks. Um, I think Wyclef maybe does it on the beast, but it is weird. I, I was uh, just thinking as I was listening to it, like I wonder if there was a game plan or if it was just, you know, Whoever wants to jump on, do whatever you want on this track. Like, is there a plan? Was there a blueprint for this album? Or did they just get in there and kind of like, uh, you know, I, I can't, I'm not nailing this guitar part. Do you, do you mind hitting this for well, me? And then they blueprint, end up playing it. That's Jay-Z. That is Jay-Z. Good job, Josh. Yeah. You're learning. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, the okay, so my, my stepsister did listen to uh rap some she she liked jay-z but and i know i've told you this story before Uh um she listened to hard knock life on repeat (laughs) for basically a year and so that's also why i don't really it's like that's just kids singing you know like it's like (laughs) you know and so even that like i felt like i kind of had like a almost like a vendetta against jay-z because right. of that like it's like right. you know but go, going back to you know Proz, i wonder though is like is Proz's role in the fujis is it kind of like the you know okay so there's just like this joke when it's like the boy band kind of thing um or like boys to men let's say the more so oh. like that where there's the guy that's like damn double damn like is he kind of <laughs> like that guy in the group um, like I gotta I, give him more credit than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely holds his own lyrically on on the album. But yeah, you you could kind of just because we're always searching for a way to relate something uh, to something <laughs> else. Um, yes, you could call him the baritone of the group, the kind of you know the the guy that comes in towards the end of the song and you know uh, lays down those sultry tones. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you could you could probably assign him that that uh. But like, what is Proz even like? Like, what has he been up to since this? You know, like, I mean, he's doing so, a lot shit more, so, more than uh, me. So he, uh, they, like, I think a few years after it was probably like ninety nine or two thousand. Remember this, uh, the movie Bullworth starring Warren Beatty. Yeah. Uh, remember the song Ghetto Superstar with Old Dirty Bastard and Maya and Proz is also on that oh, track. Oh, Proz is on that. Okay, yeah, okay. Proz is on yeah. that one. Yeah, Huge and of course song. that's a that's and then when that song came out, you know, what did my mom immediately say? Oh, that's Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. You yeah. know, that was that was like again, it was when, when that song came out, I I instantly loved it, and you know, I'm a again 14 or 15 year old singing to the top of my lungs ghetto superstar um you know it's not exactly a song that i can relate to but the kenny rogers dolly parton aspect of it was you know i had heard islands in the stream forever so uh you know i i didn't uh it, it was another one of those songs that instantly i felt like i had an inside track on compared to a lot of my friends that didn't grow up in a household that had parents that listened to you know this type of music or were just like musically inclined you know um i I felt like i had it was kind of like uh having like a a codex in your mind of of like i I remember i know i know this from somewhere else you know another album uh that i loved around that time was uh lord Tariq and peter gunn's 
they had a song called Uptown Baby that sampled uh, a Steely Dan song, Black Cow. Um, and that, that song's been, Black Cow's been sampled countless times by countless hip-hop artists. But again, it was like another huge hit that I instantly was like, I, I know this from somewhere. I got to figure out who this is. And it felt like it felt like finding uh, an Easter egg in real life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it felt like watching a movie and seeing something in the background and going, oh, that's a, you know, when you watch Phantom Menace for the first time and you see the little ETs in the Senate scene, yeah. And you you see like the the ex, the the ETs in the corner, and you go, oh my god! Like, did you see that Easter egg? It was an in real life version of that, and I love that type of shit. So hearing all these sampled songs in in rap and hip hop, that's that's what that yeah, I just loved that. I ate that well, shit up. Well, when when you were talking about the you know ghetto superstar superstar, and then into islands in the stream. Uh, what I felt like growing up, I know I've kind of painted this throughout this episode, is yeah, yeah. like if I started singing the uh, All for One song, I Can Love You Like That, then it felt like my <laughs> parents would be like, here's the John Michael Montgomery version. Yes, 100%. You know, they're like, let me 100%. give you this son. Yeah. You know, and then you would kind of, because there was that period of uh, country music that was just kind of redoing kind of R&B stuff. And so yeah. it's like, you couldn't really escape Things and that was a few years before, like uh, you know, Bullworth. Uh, Bullworth, I think, was like '98. Uh, okay. But but yeah, just like that kind of thing. There was always that kind of oh no, do it, do it this way, you know, with right, it, right? You know, so yeah, just to kind of that, that, uh, that ain't that quite uh, wide enough, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Something just ain't really, right about that. Really throwing my uh, parents under the bus, which I think. Yeah, you really deserve. are. Yeah, they're yeah. canceled. hundred um, <laughs> percent. Uh, yeah, no, no I, I know what you mean. And again, like we were talking about earlier, uh, there's just there's always been a lot of panic and fear. I mean, you still see it to this day. The you know panic around rap and hip hop WAP came out uh last summer or the summer before and the you know the Tucker's Carlson of the world the you know were were the the Ben's Shapiro were losing their goddamn minds you would have thought that uh somebody had launched a nuclear missile at the country um because of the the hysteria and the the panic so uh, yeah. I, I, not that, you know, and again, I just, I don't think my parents really cared. Like, I don't think they really, I don't want to say that they didn't buy into it, but they didn't not buy, or I don't know how to even say that. I just don't I, even I never knew remember your parents as being that way, you know, like. Yeah, the, I just don't remember, like, my dad was a wild dude. Yeah. So, like, my dad was never the uptight uh, type whatsoever. So, definitely not him. And my mom, not really either. She never, she, you know, I mean, she they weren't going to let me watch, like, you know, movies or, or television that was above my, you know, uh, pay grade as far as my age goes. But that's about it, you know. What, like, what, what would that musically. mean for you? Like, what... what... What would uh, an off limits movie be at that age? Like Let's today? Say... <laughs> well, not today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. still, I, I still have yet to see uh, uh, True Lies. Okay. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, like, what do you think that would have been? Because, like, 
I don't know. I'm um, trying to like think about because I I gotta. I'll, I'll kind of tell you what I thought your parents were, but I want I want to see <laughs> what uh, they were not letting you watch. Well, I I don't know because I didn't watch it. True. Well, what could <laughs> then? I, what could well, you? Watch? I'm I'm trying. Could to you think... watch R-rated movies at this age? I don't remember. I don't like maybe. Like my mom took me to see Titanic in theaters, knowing that there was a titty in it. I think that somehow that was like it was sanctioned everywhere. It was. Like, it I was. Don't know if that's, it was. Know wasn't if it's the inverse of what I mean? Uh, yeah. Uh, like I'm realizing, I don't know if I really know what sanctions mean, but uh, <laughs> you know, but I, it was like just allowed. It was like we were watching it in middle school. Like exactly, there was exactly. Titty. There, you know, it was like a like teacher that, was trying to run. It but was. Wasn't it was really... like. Yeah. That titty was a historical artifact. <laughs> You know, like they had dubbed, they had dubbed that titty part of acceptable history. You know, even though James Cameron made it up completely, they were just, they were like, oh no, this is historical record. And as such, it's okay for kids to see, uh, uh, this boob. So yeah, I, I, that, that I got to see, and that came out in 99. So I would have been 13, around 13 or 14 when that movie came out, um, I'm trying and to think, it was like, PG thirteen. Like it I was think, P- exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I think um, it kinda had that thing and the historical historical right, element. Right. Like, you know, there there were those kind of movies. But yeah, I think though, when I remember us in middle school, I guess get into like the personal aspect. Uh-huh. Um I remember that I was like, Oh, I think like Will just like hooks up with girls like uh, you know i just thought that you were and i think now looking back i think that was just because like if you asked a dude in middle school like were you a virgin then they would just be like no i'm not a virgin (laughs) and so it was like in my head for some reason i was like will just like you know any, yeah, I don't want to name people's names that we went yeah, to middle yeah, school yeah, with, yeah, even though yeah. I already did earlier. Uh, but like, that's what I, that's what my, uh, cause I, I think I've told you the story. It's like, I think the first time I remember meeting you with one of our mutual friends, uh, I was walking down the hallway and I think you showed him like cigarettes or something, you know? And then, I, man, I really, I, I believe you if, if that's your if that's your memory. I don't remember doing that because I, I was never like a smoker. Like I never I only did it situationally whenever uh, we could steal them from, you know, somebody's parents house, um, you know, specifically Mike Roberson uh, because yeah. he lived down the street from me. But I don't remember there. I mean, there were friends of ours that like brought them to school and sold them regularly, you know. And that was not anything that I ever really, like, I pretended to be into it sometimes. But realistically, like, I, I must have been on one that day as well, far we were, as just we being were like, a, a little shithead. We've talked about this on our other podcast um, some, but for people here, um, like, I viewed you as, like, like kind of from a distance like it was right. like it was like i kind of was like in that group in a periphery kind of thing like we knew a lot of the same people right. but if there was like a long lunch table i was on the other end of it right you know yeah, like and i thought true, it, yeah. it felt like the other end of it was like you and like pork chop you know uh 
you know, <laughs> uh, you know this Which guy. Which was his we name. Went, the the what, name yeah, that yeah. he went by. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like it would be me and Trey, uh, Kyle, um, uh, Mike. <laughs> These fucking uh, names all together. I know, I know. Job, it's, it's Mike, yeah. Kyle, you know. Uh, Marcus, um, uh, Kev Butler. Um, that yeah, was a much like, cooler side of the table than like <laughs> the I I well I guess I guess because some of those dudes like played you know played basketball and stuff so if if that counts as cool points I think they were just tall yes yeah that's I, why yeah, I've, I think I've that made they, they just cool. like blossomed earlier than everybody else so <laughs> yeah Marcus and Frankie yeah, yeah. Uh, remember John John yeah yeah uh, yeah John Newton uh, yeah that that. That I really was. I know lots of people say that they were like social butterflies in middle school and high school, but I really was because I didn't fully fit into any of these groups. Um, not by choice. It wasn't like I was like ahead of my time and, and, you know, it wasn't by design or anything. It was just, I didn't actually skate, but I hung out with a lot of people that skated. I wasn't on the basketball team, but I played, you know, pickup basketball all the time at recess. Um, I was in band, you know, so like the band dorks I hung out with, um, uh, I lived close to the school, so a lot of kids that I wouldn't otherwise hang out with would like come to my house afterwards just just because I, I lived close and you know it was an option. Um, and so because of that, like I, I kind of I, I don't know if if that really influenced you know th- then I, I hung out with with guys that were like getting into like heavier music and stuff. Um, so that, that influenced the things that I listened to. I also, you know, listen, you know, hanging out with guys on the basketball team. Uh, I had, you know, I was, was listening to rap and hip hop and stuff, things that they were into. So it kind of, you know, it kind of helped mold my, my taste in, in music. Um, or maybe my, I don't know which came first. I, I guess, you know, the people I hung out with came first and kind of influenced the things that I was into because I, uh, just as a, if nothing else, as a way to have something to talk about, um, uh, whenever we were at school, you but know, did I it ever wanna... make you feel like you were like a faker? Did you uh, ever a have a poser? Impo- oh, a poser. Yeah. Yeah. Poser. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. I, I, I definitely lived, did. Like I, I was a poser. Yeah. yeah I, I lived with that, that, uh, that whole, um, uh, what's it, what's it called? Um, imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome. That's what yeah, I was trying to yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I absolutely had that. Um, it wasn't probably until my last couple years of high school that I felt like I wasn't having to do that anymore. Like I could get by on my sense of humor alone and mm-hmm. not have to pretend like I was into the things everybody else was, you know, like I was, I was funny enough that that's why they kept me around instead of, having to, uh, uh, you know, just whatever the things that you make up in your mind and like, oh, this is why these people hang out with me. You know, like I I, I got past that point um, in my mind and I was like, okay, I'm good enough on my own. I can be my weird self and just make people laugh. And and I feel like you could also like, if someone were to kind of call you a poser, I feel like you could fire back. Like you had enough of that. Well, confidence is the term. Uh, Yeah. But for me, it's like if uh, David Allen Poe, a real person in our school, <laughs> pointed out that I had the same airwalks from the year before, you know, it crippled me. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it just it, like, yeah. devastated. And it, I'm still yeah. talking about it today. Of You're course, probably like, I can't course. remember these instances, but it's burned into my psyche about wearing the same airwalks two years sure, in a row. Sure, sure. But I feel like you probably would have also had the same shoes the next oh, year. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I probably had the same shoes for yeah. three years of middle school. Yeah, and know? like, it's like, I was like, well, in my recollection, um, this is really, we're really getting into the nuts and bolts of us, uh, yeah. that it's like, somehow you would be, I felt like you were like, I, I will proclaim to the school that I get free lunch. <laughs> and I would, I would hide that I had free or reduced lunch. Right, right. We both had free and reduced lunch. But, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Like I was, I was proud that I figured out how to scam the lunch ladies at school. You know, like I was, I was, uh, I, I, I do know what you mean by that. Like I was not afraid to lean into things. Um, like if somebody accused me of having like. Uh, I don't know if, if other people are familiar with this, but um, a lot of kids at my school, uh, myself included, like my mom would buy stuff from uh, the flea market, like fake uh, clothes from the f- flea market. So like, Bobos. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the uh, Nike sweatshirt that was not, you know, that was, you know, may just had misprints on it or like genuinely like just, just had like a screen printed Nike logo in the corner. And then the tag was just some Chinese. Brand. Oh, I had, I definitely had those. You know like, what I'm talking I had about? Or Tommy, one. Yeah. Or Tommy Hilfiger or something. And, and, and like, like if, if a kid called that out at school, I would make fun of them for spending the money on the real thing and and it not looking any better than my shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I would I would yeah, and of course that's a defense mechanism. Like that was just me like you know, in inside, you know, I'm not not devastated by it. But at the same time, I absolutely I, I wasn't gonna take it lying down, that's for fucking sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I was really even going with that. Too. It kind of like I try and think about it too, like kind of like getting into hip hop. I mean, I guess it was more organic for you, but it, it felt like it almost felt like I wasn't allowed to, and yeah, I wasn't yeah, going to cross the hurdle. You know, it's like I yeah. wanted to. You know, it's like there were, you know, just like hearing things on the radio, and I liked it. But it's like, how do I get it? There was even yeah. that with like, how were you getting? the score i guess you just bought it but it's like how were you buying or consuming uh, M- music mtv was how it was getting into my house um i remember in seventh grade i got a tv in my room for the first time and my dad set it up and i would i'd watch mtv you know i'd watch the videos that came on i remember when uh the video for uh killing me softly came out i remember that vividly um and then the video for uh ready or not um where they're on the jet skis uh uh which by the way that song samples anya uh i don't know if if you realize that that yeah and it has the delphonics in it like it's a delphonic sample too yeah ready or not or uh fuji la are probably my my two favorite songs off of that album Um, ready or not is really good it's so fucking good man it is so so good uh yeah like i remember when that video came out and just that that chorus you know lauren hill's voice just being burned into my head uh and it's like every time i hear that song it's like i'm hearing it for the first time every like it's one of those songs that i stop and and uh 
and just it's like I'm hearing it for the first time every time, you know, and and uh, the the line while you're imitating Al Capone, I'll be Nina Simone defecating on your microphone like that line has been just burned into my head because she also plays around with like uh, some of the other gangsters. She, she, um, uh, she references Elliot Ness, you know, like I remember when I learned about I knew who Al Capone was. But then like when I learned about the other, uh, you know, gangland figures of the 30s and 40s and stuff and learning about Elliot Ness for the first time, I'm like, oh, shit. OK, like so like as you grow up, when you hear a lot of this music, when you're as young as I was, when you're hearing it, as you grow up, you get more and more references, you know. Well, there's funny references, like even when you look into a uh, red intro, uh, the first track where they start talking about you know they say like charlie chan but then they say robert de niro yeah (laughs) and then it's like what do these two have to do with each other like nothing by the way i'm pretty sure that that intro references every song on the album like if you listen to it he he like he says we don't you're either ready or uh he doesn't say explicitly ready or not but he says uh he says mask. Yeah, he yeah. mentions mask. He talks about zealots. He talks about um, he, cowboys. Yeah, he talks about cowboys. He, uh, yeah, he references. He now, says the words, the score. He says, and you ain't gonna be killing me uh, softly, like you know. He, he references that. He, I'm pretty sure he goes through every track. So it's almost like the uh, the opening credits of a of a movie. You know what I mean? Um, he's giving the opening credits because at the end, of course, you know, they, they even, they give the producing credits, like who all worked on the album and yeah. stuff. It's so just it such is a funny line though. It's like, I was with my man P he, th- he thinks he's like Charlie Chan or Robert De Niro or Bruce Lee. <laughs> they like, it's well, like, so, so, uh, so Charlie Chan, I'm not too familiar with like that. Charlie Chan was like a so there was a film series and I'm gonna get the years wrong but essentially let's say like the 30s yeah and okay. so I mean you if you go back to him they're extremely racist now yes but yes, essentially yes, yes. I, he was almost like a detective and he would like Warner Orland okay like so th- this was based on a series of books wasn't it I believe so I I had to watch one of the movies in like a film class okay um and yeah it was you know but that that was like the point you're watching and you're like oh wow this has not you know, aged well, but it, oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. a uh, he was the detective. Yeah, so but it was loosely based That's on a right. Hawaiian That's detective, right. but in it they just make him. Uh, so he's kind of so the idea of like the Fu Manchu type is what yes, gotcha. he's supposed to be, which actually plays a lot into a lot of hip hop and stuff like that with the, kind of the, you know, uh, you know Wu Tang does it a lot yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, you know. So so so, so he's a, what's the line again? My man P thinks he's Charlie Chan or Robert De Niro or who else? Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee. <laughs> Just the so three I'm, of them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh it has gotta be just like I wonder if they just like ad libbed that just like off the top of the head and those were just the first three names that uh that came to mind. Cause like Robert De Niro is is still like in, in the mid nineties, he's not like uh, you know, analyzed this or no, analyzed he had, that yeah, Robert he had De Niro become... yet. He yeah, was still character. like he was coming off a of heat the year before, you know. Oh yeah, like, yeah. He's he's still badass Robert De Niro. He's raging bull. He's taxi driver Robert De Niro. Uh, so 
there's still like some like he's talking about i guess like tough guys or whatever um and then also i wonder if like you know what i'm thinking of now i wonder if he meant to say jackie chan but he said charlie chan like I wonder if it was one of those things where because, he just yeah, was Charlie just, like, Chan doesn't people. really make sense. In a Charlie sense Chan is real. Like one of these things is not like the other. You know. So of, actually, it would thing. make sense if it was supposed to be Jackie Chan because Jackie Chan. I mean, Jackie Chan had been around for a while, but even with U.S. audiences, Rumble in the Bronx was '93. Exactly. So that you know, and he had like Drunken Masters even before that, but I think that came out later in the U.S. Might have been like '96. Right. Uh, but yeah, Jackie Chan would have made way more sense with the three because that is still that's a three badasses. Yeah, you know, like yeah, Charlie Chan is like that's like just like a it's just any kind of detective type. Like I'm trying to think of the Agatha Christie kind of guy. The yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what um, more so Charlie Chan is like. He's right, not like right. somebody that you're like, damn, he's gonna fuck people up. He's just like he's gonna solve this crime. Like Perry Mason or fucking J.B. Fletcher from Murder She Wrote is more yeah, what yeah. what Charlie Chan would be. But also, know? is he is is he listing those people as badasses or as big movie stars? Uh, potentially. I mean, and I guess my man P, he's saying pros, right? Well, I don't know. I, it's a good question. It's a good question. I need to look at the script for this. Well, the, okay. It, it, another question then. Um, does this play a better movie than that one Queens of the Stone Age record? A conceptual piece. It's not. It's not really a movie, but the one. What's the one that does like the radio songs, and it's like a whole complete package. Oh, Is that songs um, for the deaf. We don't have to get this right. It's fine. I have uh, no idea, to be honest. <laughs> I think with you. the answer is this. I'm more so okay. just okay. fucking around. But, but yeah, I don't know. Just something to think about. I, it, the reason I bring it up is like there felt like there was a lot of this in this time frame. I mean, I, Queen of the Stone Age was a couple years later, but like that idea that like, oh, we almost have to make this like either a, like a whole conceptual piece. So they, I think Lauren Hill, uh, in an interview said that they, they thought of this album as like, uh, uh, Tommy by the who. Yeah. Um, yeah. that was, that was kind of what they were, uh, uh, kind of, kind of going for conceptually speaking. And I don't know, you know, I've never sat down and really tried to suss out the exact, like if it is telling an actual plot or if it's more of like the feeling of a plot is happening because like in in Tommy there are like actual like plot turns and events that happen to this central character so I don't know if I've never analyzed it that deeply to be honest with you to know whether the same thing is happening in the score um, or if it's supposed to just elicit the feeling of watching a movie yeah, but you know the thing I think with like Tommy well, this record does it better than like Tommy does because I feel like with those kind of concepts of like kind of trying to make almost a movie, uh, like an album into like a feel like a movie, this feels like an album, you know. And I think yeah. that almost Tommy suffers because it tries to feel too much like a movie, like it, it makes it feel like wonky at places, right? Because right. of that. So the score is a better record than Tommy. If anyone was wondering, no one was wondering. <laughs> yeah, one sixty-five-year-old man is very yeah, upset yeah. at me. So I think I think they were going for the comedic comedic effect here. 
Because he says, uh, like, he starts naming a bunch of people, and, like, the guy responding to him is like, what? Uh, he says, uh, he says, because the only gangsters, when it comes to being gangsters to themselves, they want to be Corleone or Luigi. And if the guy says, I am Corleone. What? What? He says, or Gambino or Gotti or whatever the fuck that is. Some people don't even like, you know what I'm saying? They run around calling themselves Rahim or Fuquan or Mustafa. No shit, because they think they got power. Like, he's just, like, randomly... Then there's another line. I got family business on Avon, on Chancellor, on Prince Street. So he's Chadwick, just saying on Stratford, Chancellor. I think he's just saying random shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's why he went with Charlie Chan. Yeah. Because that, that feels... That, that makes way more sense now. Wow. I'm glad we got to the bottom of this. Yeah. And also, he says PD, not P. Oh, okay. So, well, the... Yeah, yeah. the uh, the lyric thing that I have, uh, stlyrics.com, uh, you know, is, yeah, probably not. They also edit the word motherfucking on it, so yeah, you know, they yeah. don't want kids to read that. That's, yeah, yeah that's that's uh, that's what you want to avoid on the internet. Yeah, so, so I guess, like, as we, you know, kind of, I guess, start wrapping it up, like, what do you think looms larger for you if you have to compare the two? Because we've talked about Stankonia and uh, the score. Like, do you feel like if you had to grab for one, which one are you grabbing for? The score or Stankonia? Probably because of the age I was when it came out, I'm going to go for Stankonia. Okay. Um, and again, that's a personal preference thing. Um, I absolutely adore that album. Uh, I've, got 97 percent of it committed to memory um <laughs> if you ever want to hear will uh rap that's the album to put on yeah. uh, <laughs> uh so i would i would probably probably grab stank again but the score was my entryway into this whole genre uh the score was like while stank was formative the score was my entry point to this whole whole thing um, and especially the type of, uh, the type of rap and hip hop that I ended up loving so much, um, the score kind of set the tone, you know, and everybody, there, there's something that I've always subscribed to called pop culture entry points, where if you want somebody to watch a television show, say that has like 200 episodes to it, very long running television show, right? Yeah. You shouldn't show them the pilot. You should... Think about what their interests are, and you should choose an episode that you know will grab them and make them realize you should commit yourself to watching this entire television show or this entire movie franchise. Hey, this Fast and Furious will get you into the yeah, rest of them. It's this fast bond, five, by this the way. bond, yeah, <laughs> this Bond movie will get you into the rest of them. Um, you're not going to like every episode of a television show. You're not going to like every rap album you listen to um, or any genre of music that you listen to. But if your friends know you well enough, ask them specifically, hey, what's an album from this genre? You know, you know what I like. You know me as a person. What is something that I should listen to? Um, and hopefully if they're, you know, if they got the time and, and are able to do it and, and willing to, they'll, they'll turn you on to something. Um, but yeah, I would, I would go with Stankonia just because again, I was kind of, I was, we were talking about earlier, like that awkward period of being in middle school, uh, and around the time, like 15, 16 years old, I finally start feeling 
a little more comfortable in myself um, and feeling like I wasn't having to pretend to be uh, like floating around in all these social circles that they liked me for, uh, you know, myself. So that kind of hit. I remember, I'll never forget uh, the year that it came out. We were still actually at Hoggard when Stankonia came out. That was 2000, mm-hmm. right? We were, we started at Ashley in the fall of 2001 and Within a few weeks of each other, Jay Z's uh, "The Blueprint 3, I think, came out, and I remember this senior, what like I was in PE class, and somebody brought up that that uh, I I brought up Stankonia. Somebody else brought up Jay Z, and I was like, I said something about Outcast, and the guy looked at me and was like. Don't tell me you bought this the Outcast album over the Jay Z album. Like he was like pissed that I would even venture to buy an Outcast record over a Jay Z record, and I like clapped. I remember clapping back at him, and and feeling good about it. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I didn't. And 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 much to what you were talking about as far as like being. Uh, kind of set in your ways because of certain notions that put me off of Jay-Z for a long time. Like it took me a long time to actually come back and listen to a lot of Jay-Z albums and go, Holy shit. I see why people like hold this guy up as like one of the best rappers to ever do it. Like I understand this now. Um, but it like, because he, he was all about, you know, bling and like money and, and shit like that. Like the lyrical content, from from outcast and from fujis and and artists like that was like was very different and so mm-hmm. I, I felt like oh that that guy doesn't you know uh he he's he's not as much of an artist as these other people are i, yeah. I did the whole gatekeepy thing you know yeah well i mean that's that's also another thing that i felt like kept me at a distance from outcast because there was a lot of that because of how big they were is like i guess a radio band yeah at that point like how how much they eventually got there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. with their with their like fourth and fifth albums for sure like it just feels like when you're a kid and someone tells you to like oh do you like i don't know you can almost insert anything it felt like it's like do you like 21 pilots or something you know it's like right right you know i don't i don't know if people even really have that experience anymore because i feel like they can kind of like just get into whatever they want but there are still things that are just ever present you just can't get away from it yeah you know uh, yeah, so to kind of like appreciate it as like an artistic thing on its own merit, you know, you almost have to dig through all the other things that you oh, see absolutely. in culture. You absolutely. Know? I mean, and you've got to do that with any genre that you yeah. go through. And, uh, and, and yeah, if it, obviously, um, you know, uh, we, we touched on it earlier. I just wanted to bring it back around. My favorite Lauren Hill vocal performance or like hook that she sings is actually, she is just a feature she did, uh, on if I ruled the world, uh, with Nas. Um, that's, mm. that's my favorite. That's one of my favorite rap songs that like from the beat to, to her vocal performance and everything. Like, again, I was, I was going back through Wikipedia and looking at, she's only featured on like five or six songs. She's got her one solo record and then the two Fuji's albums. And then she did an MTV unplugged, uh, with some, I think it had some new material on it, and that's literally all of her output. That's it. Yeah, you know, that's it's insane. it's so wild because she has, and she's still regarded as like one of the best to ever do it. Like a lot of the people that are in that category have, 
you know, vaults and vaults of unreleased tracks that their estates keep releasing, you know, that kind of honestly, like there was not released for a reason, you know, it's not nearly as good as the stuff that they chose to be on their I'm album. I'm almost convinced that she might, but I, I don't know. I mean, we haven't, it feels like it would have been released, but it's like, it feels like there's got to be another record out there that's just like, oh yeah, I'm, been... I'm sure there is. And I don't know, you know. I've I've heard things uh, about her over the years, but as I've gotten older, I've realized just how much the industry runs what ends up as headlines uh, yeah. in Rolling Stone or you know on MTV or on websites and stuff. So honestly, like I don't, I've I've kind of wiped my brain clean of a lot of the things that I grew up hearing about her and being difficult and shit. I have no fucking idea. No. Yeah. There's some things where if it feels like kind of like rumors, I mean, I, I I love hearing like any sort of gossip, but when it gets to a certain point, it's like, just I'll figure this out a little bit later down the line. Once we know, like even with like news stuff, I feel like it's like, I'll read the gist of it. And then I'm like, I'm just going to pick this up in a couple days till I can figure it out. You know, that's exactly right. Anytime there's like a a major event that happens, like I'll pay attention to it in the time. But as far as having a hot take on it, like you need to circle back around to it in a Mm. couple months when, uh, like an independent journalist has actually done a deep dive and put together a timeline of events. So you can have a better understanding because anytime there's breaking news or anytime there's something like that, that has just happened, you're only, you're getting a very small sliver of the reality of the situation. And so you're only reacting to uh, a piece of the information and without any context whatsoever. Yeah. One th- before I do let you go, um, I was thinking, what song was it that your uh, band after we were out of high school? What Outcast song was it that you all covered? <laughs> Did we we covered an Outcast song? Yeah. Oh, it, it was. Uh, hey, yeah, right. <laughs> what? No, uh, I th- what my memory of it, but I don't know how this would have been possible. <laughs> is I remember your drummer Brian was his name, right? Oh God, yes. You all okay. let him okay, okay. sing it because I think it was more like a. It was kind of one of those things where, like, when you're in like younger bands, it's almost like if you don't let this guy do it, he's going to quit the band. Yes, that exactly. kind of you feeling. have to make concessions because so he's you the might only have drummer, like you know taken it out of your head completely yeah, but i remember like that was a song was that as an actual show because we also like we would end up at a lot of parties together and and like somebody would get a guitar out and i remember it happening on stage on stage as so i'm assuming this was lucky's yeah okay yeah oh no um <laughs> God, that's embarrassing as fuck. So yeah. was he playing guitar or did Chris he and would, I play it? I don't know who played. He might have still been at the drums, but I just remember him singing lead. This is where, where it's like it's some of it's not really adding up, but I do also remember um, y'all also covered uh, Skeet Skeet by Little John. Okay, I remember doing that. Yeah, that's I still. Then love that playing. might that be really what I remember. That I see. I remember doing that. We would do Get Low. Uh, like, like almost every, like we, cause there was a few moments cause, okay, two, let's be completely, uh, uh, clear here. <laughs> Brian, incredible fucking drummer. He's a great like, drummer. Absolutely. Yeah. Like he went to Nashville. He plays with touring bands and stuff. Like he did the damn thing. Um, and more power to him. Uh, not 
the greatest taste in music back then uh so uh like we had to come to some mid you know we had to meet in the middle on a few things so like like hey Brian, how about we do Get Low by Lil John? Okay, like he was all about the party and stuff, you know. He was like yeah. turned up to 11 at all times. So that's what we would do like like halfway through the show, we we would do this like Chris was in uh, probably still is an incredible guitarist. So he would like play the Super Mario Brothers theme in the middle of shit. We were just like getting up on stage and just doing whatever the fuck we wanted to. Um uh it was like and it was an instrumental band. Uh uh like all of our songs none of them had lyrics. So it was mainly just me coming up with song structures as a way for those two to masturbate on stage with their instruments. You know what I mean? Uh, just to, to fuck around. Uh, it's, yeah, so, it was basically instrumental and then like some covers thrown in to kind of like get people yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. It's my memory of it. But yeah. yeah, because that was the only thing I was good at. Like I've never <laughs> actually been good at guitar. Like I can sing, uh, but that's about it. So it's like you know, and I wasn't confident enough to write my own lyrics yet. So uh, having you know, just oh, I know this song. I'll sing this one. So yeah. So where can people find you? Um, you can find me in St. Louis, rolling on dubs. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter at Wapple House, W-A-P-P-L-E-H-O-U-S-E. Um, and you can also find me and Josh and Vic and Dan and Ryan, uh, hosting Jort Center Pod. Um, well, I guess it's just George Center, but George Center Pod is the Twitter handle. So come give that a listen if you want to hear Josh talk about all sorts of other. This is like a miniature, like this is absolutely a conversation we would have had on George Center. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's. I think I wonder if this will be like a. It probably won't really be that strange because I feel like we did keep it a little bit more collegiate than George Center maybe would have. Sure. Uh, sure. But like, uh, for this is there's probably elements of this episode that people might be thrown off of our, how f- comfortable we are with each other. Yeah. <laughs> there's probably some awkwardness that I have to sift. People, I mean, the, just so you know, the people are going to demand that I come back on as a regular <laughs> co-host. So, right. um, I will like, uh, much like Putin invading Ukraine to seize territory. I will invade your podcast and take it over eventually. Yeah, have Will so, on your podcast. Sorry. To take um, over. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before <laughs> I truly let you go, how how would you explain George Center to people? Because I can, never can. Um. So hopefully it's five people that you like <laughs> sitting uh, like around a table. like it, It's like one of those conversations and friends of ours that have known us for a long time have described it this way, that it feels like they are hanging out on the back porch of our local bar that we all uh, frequent. You, less so, obviously, you're in Charlotte, Ryan's in Maryland. Uh, Sitting out back at Reggie's, like having a beer in between bands. Uh, That's the vibe that people have told me it elicits. Uh, We talk about absolutely everything on there. And while I say that, I cringe inside because I hate nothing more than a podcast promo that says, we cover all the topics. We cover food, movies, pop culture, cinema, more food. And then, yeah, so and then you know what I'm saying? And it's like the promo. Exactly. It's like there's, there's there's more topics than that. I can't just go through 
like the episode descriptions and see the things that actually get brought up. It's like it's a conversation that just leads from one thing into another, into another, into another, into another. And it kind of never ends. Like there is no we have like beginnings and endings to Jort Center on each episode. But you could string it all together and it would probably connect from the very first episode to what are we, 65 end? Yeah, you know, like, like you, you know what I'm saying? Like it's one never ending conversation of you sitting around bullshitting with your buddies. Um, and there's some really funny shit in there. It's not all comedy, you know, and I, I uh, it feels even weird. Like I just cringed again inside <laughs> saying it's comedy because none of us are comedians whatsoever. No, uh, we're just we're we're dipshits again. Poorly hosting this thing, but we all bring topics that we want to talk about, and it can be whatever we want to. Um, you know, sometimes it's serious, sometimes it's like relevant to whatever is in the news cycle. But most and sometimes episodes, we have to edit things out. Sometimes we have to take stuff out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but most episodes are evergreen, so you can go back and listen to them backwards. The the catalog, uh, even an episode from a year ago, we won't have mentioned anything that's actually been in the news. Uh, so it it feels like you can listen to it at any time, basically. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. I super appreciate it. And dare I say, I love you, Will. Oh, I love you too, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. Welcome back. Thanks again to Will for coming on the pod. Check out Lauer After Hours and the pod we do together, George Center. Or simply follow him on Twitter at Waffle House. But for real. I've known Will since middle school and he's still someone I talk to on a daily basis. So that's pretty wild. Okay, next week on the pod we talk to someone else that I've known for a long time. Chris Deem of the bands Everywhen, Thin Lips, Year of Glad, and a personal favorite of mine, 1994. We talked about Palace Music's 1995 album, Viva Last Blues, and about Will Odom, a.k.a. Bonnie Prince Billy. We had a lovely chat, and it goes deep, so tune in next week. Please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do that sort of thing. Reviews definitely help. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.